All right, looks like we had some good greeting there. January 30th, 2022. Oh man, I don't know if uh, you're like me, probably, <laughs> maybe not. But 2022 feels like some kind of futuristic, like some kind of, you know, sci-fi movie in the year 2022. And now, anyways, maybe I'm just getting old, whatever it is. Welcome here, great to have you. I actually want to start today with a question. It's January 30th, so it's been 30 days since the new year. I'm good at math. Um, so I want to ask you a question. Now you, you can answer it loudly if you want, but you don't have to. You can just kind of think about it. I want to ask you this question. How many of you have already given up on your New Year's resolutions? <laughs> Amen. Wow. <laughs> I actually didn't know what kind of response I was going to get if people would feel kind of shame or... <laughs> Amen. All right. Okay, well... That's really strong. But uh, <laughs> maybe you haven't given up on your resolutions. Maybe you're like, no, I haven't given up on them, but I have adjusted them. I have maybe decided that I was too ambitious, too excited in the new year. I was thinking I was going to work out every day. I was going to read a book a week. I was going to be outside more. I was going to have less screen time. I was maybe going to be kinder when I drive. Um, that was one of mine. <laughs> Um, I'm going to, you know, do all these things, but then life started, and you began to adjust, and you began to adapt, and you began to say, okay, you know what, that was a little too much, but it's true that many of us use significant dates uh, to consider new resolu uh, resolutions, to dream new hopes, sometimes it's a new year thing, obviously, that's why we call it uh, new year resolutions, but sometimes something bad happens, Right? Something unexpected happens that makes you think and, and begin to think inwardly and say, you know what, I need to change some things in my life. Or maybe it's significant dates of, of a loved one or of a, of a wedding or whatever it is. We use these dates to set new dreams, new hopes, and we anticipate. Now, did you know that January and September are actually the two months where gym membership goes through the roof? That's where most people sign up for gym membership. September is because like summer was going, you know, whatever, summer holidays, and now you're coming back to new routines, and you kind of want to keep your, I don't know, beach body going, I guess, I don't know. But January kind of makes sense in the most sense because you're just coming out of holidays, you're doing some mirror gazing, and after eating turkey and chocolates and cookies and eggnog and more chocolates and then pastries, and I mean, that's just breakfast, and after all that, you decide, okay, that was the old me. I'm going to start this year fresh. I'm going to start new. I'm going to sign up for a membership to the gym. I'm going to get a health app. I will do better. I will pay for it because if I invest, if I, if I uh, acquire this, then for sure I'll stick with it. But then a few weeks go by, and you begin to think, and you begin to see your life, and kids, and family, and work, and all the different pressures that we all feel for different reasons, and the old, well-worn patterns begin to rise up. You see, this is why gym memberships in spe specifically will do automated payments. Or they'll have you sign up for six months or a year because they know your resolution, your new you, is going to wane and you're going to say, no, no, you know what, I can't do this anymore. So that this way at least they'll have an extra month of payment out of you or longer if you forget about it. So we try to acquire and invest into something that will hopefully provide us health, hope, joy, and we say things like, new year, new me, right? Or maybe I'm the only one that says that. That was really quiet. All right. 
And I know this sounds like a huge downer to start a message with saying how we fail at things. I, I get how that sounds. But what I find hopeful in this process is that something in us does want to make progress in life. And the reason we want to make progress and change and begin these resolutions in the first place is because something in us seeks and desires something better, healthier, more hopeful, and more joyful. So we find seasons, significant dates of the year, or different situations to restart and to make resolutions to do better. It is as if we are designed with a need to move forward. No matter how good or bad the season has been behind us, there's a desire in us, there's something in us that craves for meaning, intimacy, hope. Something in our souls and spirit cries out to move the needle forward for the better, whatever that better is. Something in us wants things to always improve, to find that healthier identity, our truest self, right? We use words like that. And so we start a new year with resolutions and hopes to gain that new identity and our truest self. Now, I remember years back, this is probably 13 years ago, my boys were little at that time. I still looked down at them at that time. Now I have to really look up. And uh, I, I used to play, like when I was in high school and in college, I played a lot of sports. I was really, really active. And then, you know, I married and I was in ministry and I had two little boys and I was less active, less healthy and I was a youth pastor so I was eating like McDonald's and junk food all the time. Like that was my diet because there's constantly like, hey, let's go for a Coke. Okay, well, let's go to McDonald's or, you know, it was all, all these unhealthy patterns that were just developing in my life. And so I thought, okay, well, I need to do, I need to be better. I need to, you know, I got young kids. I need, I want to make sure I'm healthy. So I want to be active and I want to do something. What can I do? And I thought, okay, you know what? When I was in high school, I used to bike a lot. Like, I'd go on trails, I'd get the mountain bike and do that, and I thought, okay, you know, if I invest, if I buy a really good, like, I had a bike, but that bike won't do. If I invest, and if I get a really good bike, then for sure, then for sure, I will bike all the time, and I'll be more active, and I'll get way more healthy. So I got a bike. And then I thought, okay, well, wait a minute. I have this bike, but the trails that I want to do are really far. I lived outside of the city. They're far from me, and I can't quite bike to them, so I should get a vehicle, preferably a truck, so that I could take my bike, put it on the truck, and drive it to the trail, so then I could be active and more healthy, right? It all makes sense. But then I thought, okay, but that's not enough, because once I start biking, I need to have the right clothing. Like, I have to look like a biker, because that's going to be my new identity, so I need to buy a shirt. Like, not any t-shirt, it has to be a specific biking shirt. And if I have that biking shirt with my bike on the truck, going to the trails, I'll be active and super, super healthy. But then I thought, okay, well, shirt, shorts, that makes sense. But then I need a helmet. I don't want to get injured. But I can't get any helmet. i got to buy the expensive, nice-looking one that doesn't look too huge on your head. And so i got to get a helmet. And then i got to get shoes. And then i got to get a water bottle. Not any water bottle, a biking water bottle. So if it falls, it doesn't break. And you can drink and hydrate and be active and healthy. I think you know where I'm going with this. I needed more and more and more things to acquire to begin to even think about the goal I was setting, which was a good goal of being healthy and active. It's interesting that these good resolutions are often marred with acquisitions, and for good reasons. They all seemingly promise to satisfy some deep need that we hold to be better. But we know from experience that acquisitions in themselves are at best a temporary solution. 
And so what often happens to, um, to deal with our deep needs is we acquire products because we believe they will help us reach a need. Or we begin to align ourselves to a movement or a group of people to identify a certain way, believing this will give us the identity we're really searching. What I'm saying is the bike didn't satisfy my need to be healthy, just to be clear. It could provide a way for me to be healthy, but the bike itself wasn't the satisfaction. Although my mind and my soul and my body wanted the bike and became enamored with the product, believing if once I have this then, then I'll be healthy. The richest people in the world who seemingly have it all remind us either through their actions or words that those riches do not indeed fulfill deep yearnings. Now, please don't get me wrong. Acquiring some things is important and necessary. I'm so happy to have a warm house in our cold winters. I'm thankful each moment that I'm able to buy food. I'm thankful for the acquisitions I have been able to have to live. But hear me correctly. Our acquisitions don't fully and can't fully satisfy us. The needs and the desires we have cannot be fulfilled by a product. But something in, in us continues to search, make resolutions with a hope that we will live better, be healthier, and be on the right side of history by the choices we make. So we live like something is missing in us. Because of this awareness, something is not quite right. The marketing world does well, it does its best to facilitate our perceived needs, right? And it, and it works. We have trillion dollar industry selling us something, telling us who we will be or how we will feel if we have the right products or join the right groups or align ourselves with the right movement. Our identity will be found if you just do this for the low price of $29.99. But as I said, those products and movements still don't seem to satisfy us. They have this temporary, like, okay, I'm this now, but then we go back to, like, something's not quite right. So we make resolutions, and then we acquire more things to bolster our identity, to give meaning to life, and to acquire who we are. Let me just say that again, to acquire who we are. Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar and a highly respected American theologian, said it this way. And he says U.S. church here, but I, it's, for me, it's Western church here. For I believe the crisis in the U.S. church, the crisis in the Western church, has almost nothing to do with being liberal or conservative. It has everything to do with, our, with giving up on the faith and discipline of our Christian baptism and settling for a common generic Western identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part violence, and part affluence. It has everything to do with giving up the faith and discipline of our Christian baptism. I know this is a very jarring quote, and something in you, something in me, when I first read it, protested immediately to the words like patriotism, violence, consumerism, these statements which are, which are brought up with such broad strokes in this, in this quote and made me feel uncomfortable. And maybe for others of you, you, you're reading this and you're saying, Christian baptism, like, what does he mean in this? Like, well, how did I give up on it? Like, I've been baptized. Or maybe you're new and you haven't been baptized and you're trying to figure out faith and you're like, what does Walter even mean here? So today I want us to explore what Walter is talking about and his deep desire in us to move the needle forward for the better. I want us to explore the idea of identity and why we naturally desire to do better, to be better, to be identified as better why we make resolutions to achieve that and continue our search. 
something in us yearns for more and recognizes the world that we live in is not as it should be. Now, Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Colossae, tackles this need for acquiring while searching for our identity. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 3, or if you have your phone, just go to the version or whatever Bible app you use. Go to Colossians, and we'll start at chapter 3, kind of towards the back of the middle of the letter. Now, Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae, and the fascinating, fascinating context to this letter is that it's written from prison. Paul is a prisoner for sharing his faith. He, shared, he was sharing about Jesus, which brought him into opposition with Jewish uh, religious leaders, his own people, and to the merchants of the non-Jewish worlds, people that, were, that had marketplace and they were selling different idols made of gold and wood and bronze. And so Paul's teaching of freedom and the new identity you could receive in Christ brought him into direct opposition to his own religious leaders and to the Gentile world that was profiting off religious movements. So Paul is actually in prison when he writes this letter. So it's really important to note that he's not in the retreat house over the lake in a romanticized setting writing this beautiful letter for us to consider. He's living the outcomes of a faithful life, which sometimes, more often than not, leads to hardship. And he's encountering this early church in Asia Minor to examine. He's encountering them, and he's, he's encouraging them to examine their lives, who they are and who they want to be in the light of their faith in Jesus. So Paul begins chapter 3 almost immediately with a recognition that your spirit, your pursuit, your desire to move forward, to change, to acquire, to search for meaning, for hope, for peace, for security, for joy, your pursuit of happiness is a reality that's actually from God. He has made you for a reality that you are not living in. He's made you for a reality that wasn't supposed to have violence, poverty, addictions, pandemics, death, war, rumors of war. The world and all these normal state of affairs isn't how it was meant to be. Therefore, your spirit, your soul, is butting up against it, wanting things better. But sin has brought all of that into this world, so you yearn for better. So Paul begins this chapter as a reminder for those who have seen Jesus as the answer to all these problems, as the antidote to all the problems of violence and poverty and destruction, to live in these hard times as those made alive in Christ. So he says, verse 1, chapter 3, Since then, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Those of you who have accepted Jesus as the king of your life, as the rescuer, as the hope of, for your life, you have been raised with Christ, you have been made new, and since you have, Paul is making an argument, set your hearts, your minds on things above. We must know carefully what Paul, what Paul actually means by this. He's not pleading for otherworldliness in which Christians and believers in Jesus withdraw themselves from all work and activities and hide some, somewhere on some mountaintop to contemplate eternity, although some have done that. We know this is not what Paul is teaching because Paul didn't live like this himself, but worked and invested his life into people 
And we also know this because Paul, immediately after this passage, he goes on to lay down a series of ethical principles, which make it quite clear that he expects the believer to go on with the work of this world and maintain all its normal relationships, but there will be a difference. From now on, the Christian will view everything against the background of eternity and no longer live as if this world was all that mattered. He will set his mind or her mind on things above. Verse 2 and 4. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your identity, who you are, isn't marked by the world or the possessions. Your gifts in the world are good and God-given, but they only satisfy when you see them and use them through the lens of your true identity. And for Paul, it is with Christ in God. What Paul is saying is that your desires, your want for the new you can only be found in Christ and through Christ. This life in Christ will give you, will give us a new set of values. And in these new values, things which, which the world thinks is important will no longer seem worrisome. Like being in prison for Paul, who's writing this letter. Ambitions which dominated the world will be powerless to touch you. You will go on using the things of the world, but you will use them in a new way. You will, for instance, set giving above getting, serving above ruling, forgiving above avenging. The Christian standard of values will be God's, not our own. Paul says, for you died. You know why he says that? That's the language of baptism. To go back to Walter's quote. You put to death all things that, that competed for your attention. And then you were raised to life, a new you, in following Jesus. See, in baptism, the Christian symbolically dies and rises again. As the waters close over them when they, when they go under, it is as if you were buried to death dead to your old life. And as you emerge from the waters, it is as, like, as if you're being resurrected to a new life. And here's something I want us to notice. That for Apostle Paul and the early church, our true self, our true identity, our deepest desires for meaning, destiny, intimacy, calling, vocation, can only be found in this new risen life with Jesus. Nothing else will satisfy. Other things will come close or for a time, but only in and through Jesus we begin to taste that which our soul craves. Paul is reminding the church and all of us that even in our faith, though, those of, those of us who have been baptized, even in our baptism, we are tempted to be swayed with acquiring and pursuing that which will never satisfy. Friends, if you are new here, if you're just checking things out, if you're not a person of faith yet, what we find in Scripture and through experience is that Christ is the only one that can fulfill all those longings that you've been carrying. He's the only one that can fill all those things that you're searching for. The only one that can meet our deepest longings. No relationship, no possession, no position of power will satisfy. And if you're here and you have encountered Jesus, Paul is reminding you that the drift is real. 
the temptation of acquiring and searching for identity, for, for meaning, for power, continues. So to be aware of it. It will continue, but it will never satisfy. So Paul goes on in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is adultery. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. You see what Paul is saying? Your desire for intimacy led you to acquire intimacy. Your God-given created desire for intimacy outside of Jesus led you to pursue immorality and impurity and lust. Your desire that is given to you, when you try to take power of it and acquire it on your own, on your own uh, methods, it, it was disastrous. And though you stepped into a relationship with Jesus, you are not immune from this temptation. Your desire for your purpose and destiny led you to greed. Your desire for meaning and vocation led you to idolatry. Always pursuing, always wanting, always acquiring, and never satisfied. Desiring and acquiring, and yet our soul is not satisfied. All these things fall short. It is as if you were meant for so much more. Paul continues, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as, as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Rid of them from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Paul says, do not acquire desires don't use anger, malice, slander, and lying to get your way. Put on your new self in Christ and stick with it. Your new is being renewed each day by the image of your creator, your truest identity. I love this next verse. He says, here, in this new identity, in Christ, there's no Gentile or Jew. There's no circumcised and circumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is is in all. There is no divisions in Christ. There is no different nationality, race. There is no division. In Christ, you are one body. Your truest identity, all that you are made for, all that you desire, all, all the things you want to have in relationships, in meaning, in purpose, in identity, in destiny, all, that can only, all of that can only be realized in and through Jesus, the one who made you. And in him, all the divisions that we create, all the separations, all the classes, nationalities, all the things we use to divide us, all those things that we use to say us and them, all those things we use to elevate ourselves over others, to say how dumb they are and how smart we are, all those things that we use um, to say we are on the right side of history, all those things are nothing because Christ is all and is in all. We cannot acquire special status or position on ourselves to better, to put ourselves better than anyone else. Even over your perceived enemies. Paul has reminded us that we cannot acquire life, but we do need to strip that which prevents life. Think of the paradox of this statement. We cannot acquire life, 
And we try and we spin and we run and we try and we endlessly pursue, pursue. We endlessly pursue that which simply cannot give life. So Paul says, stop. Strip your life of these meaningless pursuits and root yourself in Jesus. We cannot acquire life. We cannot acquire life because, friends, it has already been freely given. Our job is to take the old off, put it to death, put to death old practices of acquiring. We take the old off, but there's nothing we can do to earn the new. There's nothing we can do to acquire it because it has already been given through Christ and in Christ. Friends, everything you want to acquire has already been given. Identity, the new you, is a gift from God. Your new you in this year, in 2022, is being offered continually by Jesus, who stands and knocks and says, come. Come to me, all who are weary. Come to me. I want to give you rest. My yoke's not too heavy. I love you. The moment you realize that you can no longer make it on your own, you can no longer acquire things to make life right, better, more important on your own, the moment you accept the grace of Jesus, that is the moment when you truly begin to lean into your true you. You don't have to earn your identity. It's already been given. And it's better than you could ever imagine or acquire or achieve on your own. The hurdle you need to get through, the hurdle I need to get through, the hurdle we need to get through is the hurdle that we're taught every day in our world. And the hurdle is that we need to gain, acquire, earn, fight for, hurt yourself for your identity, your meaning in life. And yet all the acquiring and fighting, all of that just leaves you lacking and empty. Makes you believe you just are not good enough. That you just have to fight longer and more and step on others. Maybe just a little bit more. Maybe just another thing I have to get, and then I'll be healthy, and then I'll be active, and then things will make sense. But all you want has already been given in Christ. And here's the amazing part. Our identity in Christ will actually amplify your calling, will amplify your gifts, will amplify your joys. We will desire to serve, we will desire to serve a joy will desire to serve with joy because the meaning and hope comes from, thing, from things above. Again, like Paul, think of the context. He's writing all of this in prison. He's writing a letter in prison saying, hold on to Christ, put away, put, take off your old life, rise up to your new life. He's doing this in prison. And that letter that he wrote is now part of our holy scriptures. The encouragement of Paul is to remember your baptism. Remember that quote from Walter Bergman that I said? The biggest crisis in the Western church is that we forgot our Christian baptism. And we leaned into patriotism, into acquiring, into violence and consumerism. Paul in prison says, remember your baptism putting to death your old life and rising up to a new life, putting your hope and thoughts on things above, which paradoxically begins to heal you in this world. If you are here and you've made that command to follow Jesus but haven't been baptized, can I encourage you like Pastor John did earlier? Can I encourage you to take 
baptism or come talk to one of us pastors. Come discuss baptism with us. We have one coming up on February 13th. Fill out a connection card or just please come talk to us. Would you consider it? Would you put your old life to death and rise to your new life in Christ? And if you have been baptized, Paul is reminding us today, to me, to you, to us, the church, to not be swayed and tempted to acquire something different. Stop worrying. Stop running in circles. Everything you need has been given to you. Everything. Look how Jesus said it in Matthew 6 in the gospel. Says, Jesus speaking, he says, has anyone by fussing in front of him, oh, and I'm going to read it in a message translation because I just love how it gets to the heart of it. Feel free to read it in NIV after or whichever your translation you prefer, but I love this message translation. He says, has anyone by fussing in front of the mirror ever gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much of a difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out in the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? Have you ever encountered beauty like in this created world? The 10 best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside of them. If God gives such attention to, and, uh, to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you? Do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. I love this snippet here in the message translation. Do not be so preoccupied with getting, with acquiring, so you can respond to God's giving. You see, friends, when we are acquiring our new life, when we're acquiring our new identity, when we're acquiring things all the time to make us feel a little bit better, when we're always getting and trying to get, we can't respond to the one who gives. Everything you want has already been given in Jesus. We don't need to worry because Christ's presence is in us, near us, before us, ahead of us. And he gives freely. Now, a little bit more real, okay? Can I just get a little bit more, like, let's hit it home here? We acquire because we feel the needs in us, the needs that God has given to us, those needs for purpose, destiny, meaning, desire, intimacy, all those things that God has put in us to fill those needs for us. But we take it on our own and we try to acquire it. So let's be a little bit more real. No amount of acquiring or pursuing sex will fulfill the intimacy that you seek. It won't. No amount of acquiring of wealth and greedily desiring more will fulfill the meaning you search. No acquiring of power and status will fulfill the destiny that you're seeking. Because it already has been given to you. You are a daughter and son of the creator of the universe. And all it takes is to surrender, to recognize the true you in Christ. So can you, Dale, would you come up? 
So how do you enter your God-given identity? I love how Paul writes these next two verses. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, don't skip over that part. God has chosen you and knows you. He has given you everything. He's God-giving. As God's chosen people, holy, that is set apart, and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Do you see how these run counter to all the immorality and greed that we read earlier? Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, man, could we in this time use bearing with one another? Don't cheat, don't lie, don't inquire at other people's expenses. Don't use people. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Put on love. Put on the very nature and essence and core reality of God, who is love. Accept his free gift. In Christ, through Christ, put on love. Put away your old you, and in your new you, live out Jesus as holy and dearly loved chosen people. Remember that earlier I read, there's no Scythian, no barbarian, no Greek, no Gentile, no Jew. When we read chosen, sometimes we want to separate ourselves from others. Oh, I'm the chosen one. I made the commitment. Don't misunderstand this. Christ came for the world. And all that the world is searching is already being offered. He's the vine, you're the branch. We're connected to the source of life. All of us. We just need to recognize it and surrender to it. It's been offered, it's been given, and only in it you will truly find your freedom, truly find the new, new year, new you. Now we're just going to take a moment here. I'm going to do two things. We're going to lower our heads for prayer. And those of you that have made the decision, you've, you've followed Jesus, you've been baptized, and you're like, yeah, I've been doing this, but maybe I've been swayed. Maybe I've been so focused on politics or I've been so frustrated with things that are going around me. And maybe you just need this time to say, God, thank you for giving me all that I need already. And root yourself in Jesus who you love. If that's you, take that moment now. Let's bow our heads. But maybe you are new here. Maybe you've never made the decision. And maybe you're not sure what this all means, but you long for that, that, that you long for meaning. You long for hope, and you know that something is missing, and you've never made this decision to accept what has already been given to you through Christ. If that's you, if you want to step in and claim Jesus as the Lord of your life, as the one who gives you all those things that you are striving for to begin with, if that's you today, would you raise your hand? Yeah, thank you. In a moment, I'm just going to pray. And if you raise your hand, and take some time, be with God. And if you've never made a decision, I'm going to pray. Just pray with me. And as you pray, know that Christ loves you and holds you and wants you and knows you and calls you his own. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you are the source of all life. And I thank you that you love me 
forgive me for living a life, trying to acquire and search and run on my own and try to meet all those itches that I have in my life all on my own. Forgive me for that. That's the old me. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior, as the Lord of my life, as the King of my kingdom. God, I claim that you are my Lord, and I thank you for the grace that you're offering me for my old life. I thank you for that just amazing love that you offer each and every one of us. Thank you, God, for that. I praise in your name. Some of you made that decision. Would you just give a hand for people that made the decision? It's such an exciting thing to enter into that. Enter into that which, which has been offered to you all along. Now, if you've done that, please make yourself known. Please come to the information desk or to myself or another staff person. We'd love to gift you a Bible, and we'd love to journey with you in this process. Now, before Pastor John comes up, just to conclude, I want to leave this last quote for you to ponder. I may not have everything I want, but I have everything I need. Amen.